Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. So, of course, Pastor Chris is not here this morning, and so he asked me to fill in for him. And so <laughs> I am beyond blessed to have this opportunity to come before you guys. Uh, before we get started, though, I figured, you know, most of you guys already know who Amber and I are. But for those who don't, I figured I'd just reintroduce myself and how we got here. So my name is Josh. Uh, my wife Amber and I, we moved up here from Yucca Valley, California, about a year and a half ago. For not even a year and a half, a little bit over a year ago. And we attended, in Yucca Valley, we attended the Calvary Bible Institute there. And so if you guys don't know what the Calvary Bible Institute is, basically... Uh, it's kind of like Bible college, except it's not really, it's not a two-year program. You don't get a degree or anything like that. It's just a 10-month program of really um, just teaching you what the ministry is. And what I really love about CBI is that a lot of people will come to CBI and they expect right away to get time on the pulpit, right? Like, okay, God's called me to be a teacher and I'm going to be a pastor. Like, where's, you know, where's the microphone and I'm ready to get on the pulpit? And then the pastor hands you a plunger and you're like, wait a minute. That's not what God's calling me to do. I'm not here to clean toilets, right? I'm here to preach. But that's, that's exactly what the ministry is. The ministry isn't just teaching up on the pulpit or, or the Sunday morning ministry, but it's you as, as a believer in Christ that every single day the Lord has called you to something, and that is the ministry. It doesn't just have to be here at church, and it's really just teaching you for that. And so after the 10 months, really the goal is to kind of send you out to a church that is in need and wherever you feel the Lord is calling um, They'll find a place for you to go. And so that's what happened for Amber and I. It uh, just worked out to where the, the Lord opened up the doors for us to move up here and uh, serve at the church. And we started in the high, high school and junior high ministry. And Pastor Chris just announced to you guys last week that I'll be on staff starting next month. And so I'm super blessed for that. And if you guys didn't know, actually, I've, I've known the Bagnos since I was a little kid. And so it's kind of cool how the Lord worked it out because they also are from Yucca Valley and they went to Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel, and uh, Pastor Chris was a children's pastor. And so I grew up there, and being just in like the third, fourth grade around that time, he was actually teaching me. And so looking back on that, it's just like, I mean, you can't make that up. It's so cool how like the Lord just works that out, man. It's like, it's so overwhelming the fact that that you look back on your life, and you look at the work that the Lord does in your life, and how he works when you, you don't even see him or you don't even feel him. He's just working in the background. And I can say that, that God's grace, man, is just being in my life ever since I was a little kid and getting me to this position. I mean, it's only the Lord that could, could ever do something like that. And so I'm just so blessed to be here with you guys this morning. Um, if you guys want, you can turn to Exodus chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning, Exodus 3 and 4. That's what the Lord put on my heart. It's something that, that is really close to my heart. It's what the, the Lord spoke to me, actually, as I was going through CBI. And so I'll give you a quick testimony about that. Is that as I went to the Bible Institute, uh, when I first started, I didn't really know uh, what the Lord wanted in my life. You know, I just knew that God had called me there um, just to grow in Him. You know, I just wanted to grow closer to Jesus. I didn't know what would happen afterwards if He would call me into the ministry, or if I would just continue uh, going back to college, whatever it may have been. But as I continued through the Bible Institute, I really felt like the Lord had put in my heart that I was called into the ministry. And so I began to pray for that. I was like, Lord, what, what is that exactly? You know, what is that going to look like? What are you really calling me to do? And then the Lord spoke to me. He's like, 
Josh, I want you to be a teacher. I was like, nope, never mind. You know, I said I was willing before, but like, I'll even clean toilets for the rest of my life. I don't care, but that's too scary. I don't want to get up in front of people. No, I'm good. But the Lord continued to really put that on my heart, that as I prayed for it, that the Lord had put that burden on my heart just to teach. And then he continued to give me opportunities, um, like in in the, the junior high there at Joshua Springs. And um, the junior high pastor, Blaine Pentegrass, he had heard from the Lord to give me the position to teach the junior hires every Sunday. And so that was kind of how I got my foot in the door, was teaching them every Sunday. And as that continued on, he really pressed that upon my heart. But I was still doubting, you know, I was still worried. I was like, Lord, like, I don't know why you'd put me in this position. You know, like, this this isn't for me. You know, like, I, I have the heart to do it, but I'm not a good teacher. And, you know, I continue to come up with excuses. And then one day, as I was going through uh, Chuck Tracks with uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, we were going through this passage, and I felt the Lord just speak this, this passage to me so clearly. And when I, I went to my room after that Chuck Tracks and I started reading it, that, man, I just broke down because I realized that by me denying what the Lord was speaking to me wasn't out of, you know, humbleness. It was out of lack of faith. And that I was too focused on myself and my, my own abilities that it was getting in the way of what the Lord wanted to do in my life. And so um, chapter 3 and chapter 4, it's, it's uh, something very close to my heart. Before we really get into chapter 3, let me give you a quick rundown of how we got here. And uh, Exodus chapter 1. So Exodus really is just a continuation on from the book of Genesis, from Genesis chapter 50. And that's where we see the life of Joseph. And do you guys know the life of Joseph and how as a, at a young age, um, his older brothers sold him into slavery and to Egypt. Um, and it's a long story. The long story short, at the end of it, he finds himself in a place where he's actually second in command of Egypt, that the Lord had actually put him in such a great position, being second in command. And so when he became second in command of Egypt, it, it allowed him to have this opportunity to bring his family, to bring his, his father Jacob and all of his sons into Egypt. And that's where we first see the Israelites start dwelling in Egypt. And so that's where we get into the book of Exodus in chapter 1 we see that a new generation comes. And so that whole generation has passed away with Joseph and with that old Pharaoh that put Joseph in that kind of position and all the brothers have all passed away. It's a new generation. And it says in uh, Exodus chapter 1, that uh, in verse number 8, that a new king came into Egypt. And this king did not know Joseph. And so because he didn't know Joseph, there wasn't really any favor uh, for the Israelites at that point. And so it says there in chapter 1 that because of this uh, this new Pharaoh, he started to fear the Israelites, the Hebrew people, because they were starting to grow. They were getting uh, high in population. They were even greater than they were. Um, and so this new Pharaoh was afraid. He was afraid that Israel, if they continued to grow and get stronger, that one day if Egypt were ever to get into a war, that Israel would team up against them, right, and try to get out of the land. And so Pharaoh, in order to try to stop this, this is where we see Israel becoming slaves inside of Egypt. They enslaved them, and Pharaoh actually issued a, a decree that any newborn child that was a male would be killed. All the females would survive, but any newborn male would be killed. And so that's where we see the life of Moses, because at this point, that's when Moses comes in as a baby. And so that's where you get chapter 2. Moses is born. He's a baby, and they're seeking to kill him. And Moses' mother is trying to hide him, trying to protect Moses, but he, she gets to this point where she can no longer hide him. So it says that she puts him in this basket and puts him down the river. 
and just trust in God. You know what? I'm just going to trust in the Lord and put him down this river and hope for the best for Moses. And sure enough, guess what happens? Pharaoh's daughter actually finds him inside of the river and picks him up out of his basket and gets him a nurse to uh, nurse him up. And you know what's funny? You know who the nurse was? His own mother, right? Isn't that cool how the Lord works? I mean, you're literally getting paid to nurse your own child. How cool is that? That's like, that's the best thing ever. And so how, how the Lord just worked it out to where she just takes this, this step of faith, this trust in God and saying that, Lord, I'm going to trust in you with Moses to send him down the river. And now Moses has been saved. And so chapter 2, we see that Moses is now fully grown. He was raised up in Pharaoh's household. And so he's in a very great position in the household of Pharaoh as a Hebrew. And I believe at this point of Moses' life, I think that there was something that Moses knew, that he, he knew that God was going to use him for something great. The fact that he was in such a powerful position in the house of Pharaoh, and yet a Hebrew, that maybe God, God was going to use him to free his people from Israel. But the problem was with, Pharaoh, or with Moses, I believe that Moses was, was pretty prideful. You know, I think he was sure of himself and that he, he took things into his own hands because in chapter 2, we see one day when Moses was out and about that he saw an Egyptian beating on a Hebrew and he let his emotions get the best of him and he went and he killed this Egyptian and he tried hiding the body, he tried hiding it into the sand. But sure enough, guess what happened? They found out Pharaoh wants to kill Moses and so this leads Moses to flee to the wilderness for 40 years. And God allows this to happen to Moses because it was right. God, God did want to use Moses, but Moses, he was too focused on himself. He was too focused saying that I'm the one that can do this. And rather than looking to God, and he lets his emotions get the best of him, and he killed this Egyptian. But, but God needed to humble Moses. And so he said, Moses, I'm going to allow you to go into this wilderness for 40 years that you may be humbled because you need to be the shepherd of my people. And right now you're just acting like a sheep, right? And if you guys don't know the Bible, you know, it, it says that we're like sheep. And there's really only one good reason for that. It's because sheep are stupid, right? <laughs> sheep are just don't like to listen and we're stubborn. And that's, that's the same with us. And if you didn't know, actually, a good shepherd sometimes, when they would have a sheep that would be stubborn and wouldn't listen to them and wouldn't follow the flock and would do its own thing, the shepherd sometimes would have to take a club and break one of its legs, and you say, man, that, that kind of sounds cruel. You know, why would a shepherd do that to a sheep? But actually, this was an act of love because now the shepherd has to carry the sheep around his shoulders wherever they go. And so for weeks, while this sheep's leg is healing, he has to carry him over the shoulders. And so when it's finally healed and it can walk on its own, the shepherd puts it down on the floor and something amazing happens. It doesn't want to go off because it spent so much time on the shepherd's shoulders that man is just clinging on to the shepherd. It no longer wants to go and do its own thing. And so that's the exact same thing that God sometimes has to do with us, man. We can be stubborn. We don't like to listen to what God is trying to speak to us. We do things our own way. And God says, okay, I'll let you go through this trial or I'll let you go through this difficulty and that you can now realize that it has nothing to do with you because you can't do this in your own power and you need to rely on me. And then we begin to rely on him. And as we get through that tribulation or we get through that trial, guess what? Now all we want to do is stick close to the Lord. And so this is what God has to do with Moses. Say, Moses, you're, you're stubborn. You're not listening to me. You're too focused on your emotions, and you let the emotions get the best of you. So I'm going to allow you to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And so that is where we get into chapter 3 of Exodus. 
So if you want to look with me at verse number 1, chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. God called him from, from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place which with you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good land, good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so we see here that God is meeting with Moses. After 40 years in the wilderness, God is finally saying, all right, it's time to come to Moses and say, it's, it's time to set the children of Israel free from their captivity in Egypt. And so Moses, just like any other day, he, he's just tending this flock. And it's not even in his own flock, keep in mind. It's his father-in-law's flock. And so you go from one of the greatest in command in Egypt to now just being the shepherd of not even your own flock. And shepherds, you know, they, they weren't concerned very to be great. You know, they were like the lowest of the low. That's how they were looked they were looked down upon. And so being the shepherd, not even of your own flock for 40 years, and he sees this, this bush on fire, but it was not consumed, and it was not burning away. And then, of course, this is where God comes to him and speaks to him and says, Moses, that I'm, I'm calling you that you would finally set free my people from the slavery in Egypt. But what I like to hear is in verse number 11, his response. So it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Egypt, or the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so you can definitely tell by Moses' response that he's definitely been humbled at this point, right? Who am I to be able to do this thing? I think that if God came to Moses before this 40 years, that he would have said, Oh, yeah, I'm your guy. God. <laughs> God, I'm your guy. It's about time. You know, I've been, I've been in Egypt for 40 years now. I've, I've been, been ready for this. You know, I've been, I had this calling. But no, after 40 years, Moses is saying, who am I? You know, he's been totally humbled. And that's great. But here's the, the problem with Moses is even though he's been humbled, we're going to see here as, as we look through the rest of chapter 3 and chapter 4 that though he's been humbled, yes, he is still too focused on himself. And he continues to doubt God and question God. He actually questions and doubts God um, six different times as we go through it. But Moses being humbled, he is also um, too focused on himself. Notice where he says, who am I? Well, let me tell you, Moses, that is your entire problem right there. Let's just stop you at that. Who am I? I'll tell you who you are, Moses. You're a sinner. You're a murderer. You're a man that's living in the desert, tending the flock of your father-in-law. You're absolutely nothing. You have nothing to offer God. That is your entire issue. 
And I think if, if Moses would stop focusing on who am I and start focusing on who is he, that is where he's going to find the success. And the same thing for us in our lives, man. When we stop focusing on ourselves and asking who am I and we would begin to ask who is he, that is where we are going to see our success with the Lord. Because the Lord is perfect. He's never failing. And in fact, right now, we are going to see exactly who God is. If you want to look with me in verse number 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers have sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so God is proclaiming exactly who he is. See, we've got to remember something here. God's name is not God. I think that's something that a lot of us can forget, that, that God's just a title, right? It's the same thing as, as saying your majesty, right, for a, a king or whatever it might be. That's just a title. But that's not God's name. God's name is YHWH. We actually don't have the full name of God because the Jews took out all the vowels of his name because it was considered just too holy to even be able to pronounce. And so we don't even have the vowels. And so we, we try to pronounce it, and we have different theories of what it might be. Some of it is Yahweh or Yahweh, Yahweh-Vahe, Jehovah. Um, really, it, it, there's a lot of different speculation on what it actually is. And you can take your pick, whatever one you prefer, because really it's not about how you pronounce his name. It's about what his name means. And his name is what he says right here, I am who I am. And what does that mean, I am who I am? That means that God is the becoming one. That whatever you are going through in your life right now, that is what God will come become for you in that very moment. And that's what he's proclaiming to Israel. And that's what he was for Israel, right? What about when Israel was up against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was coming down on them? Or when they were in the wilderness and they thought they were going to starve and thirst to death? God became Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Or about when Israel was going up against great enemies when they were entering into the promised land. And they saw the giants and they saw armies that were far greater than they, and they were afraid. God said, I will be Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. And see, that is exactly what God is proclaiming here. I am who I am. I will become to you whatever you need me to be in that very moment of your life. And so maybe you're in here and, and maybe you're struggling financially. Maybe you lost a job and, and you don't know how you're going to be able to provide for your family or how you're going to pay the bills. Lord says, man, when you trust in me and you look towards me, I will be your provider. Or maybe you're in here and you lost someone that's close to you. There's a family member or a friend who passed away and there's a hurt in your heart. But God says, when you look to me, I will become your joy. Or maybe you got some bad news from the doctor and you have a sickness and it's worrying you. You, you don't know what's next. God says, I will become your peace. See, whatever you are going through in that very moment of your life, that is what God is going to be for you. That if you would just look towards him and stop trying to do things yourself and trying to, to get through it without God, that if you would just look towards God, God says, man, I will become for you what you need me to be in that moment of your life. And so that is exactly what he's proclaiming to Moses at this point. And for me, man, trying to think about God, I mean, 
we really can't comprehend it. Our brains are, just can't. We can never be able to comprehend the greatness of God and who God is. I mean, we're just not made to even, like, it's not even worth trying at this point. Because you're, you're, you're going to lose it, right? You're going to go crazy trying to think about God. And so even though it's not really worth trying to, to figure out who God is or how great God is, I do think it's important to remember how great he is. Because I think that when you do remember the greatness of God and that God, he, he's not limited like us. And that God is not limited to this timeline that, yes, he's with us now, but there's no beginning or there's no end to God. And he's in all things. And if we can remember that, that is really what's going to remind us to stop trying to figure things out our own. But that we would know that, that God sees things before we see them. And so, number one, it, it frees us to just trust in God and stop trying to, to do things in our own strength. But I also think that it, it frees us from self-condemnation. And it allows us to, to really live in his graces. Romans 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse number 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And see, what this speaks to me, this verse, is that God does not see me as a sinner that I am right now. But he sees me as in heaven with him glorified. And so if you're in here today and you have accepted Christ into your life, or maybe you haven't, but one day you will, that God does not see you as a sinner you are right now. That God does not see you as the person who's so messed up and continues to fail and continues to try to do things yourself. But he already sees you because he's not limited to time like we are. See, he's with you right now. He is, I am who I am. But he also is with us right now in heaven, glorified. I mean, isn't that such a cool thought to think of? That we're glorified right now in heaven. We're, we're in our glorified bodies in heaven with Christ. And that's how God chooses to see us. And so any kind of thoughts of self-condemnation, of, of feeling like we're not worthy enough, we're not holy enough to open up the Bible or to pray, spend time with God, let me tell you, that is straight up a lie from the pits of hell. That Satan is trying to prevent you from spending time with God, spending time in his word, and to get you out of the graces of God. But God's grace will never fail you. God's grace will, will continue to be new in your life every single day. That God has forgiven you of your sins even before you even committed them. So I think that's a beautiful thought to, to remember the greatness of God. And so I am who I am. We'll continue in verse number 15. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob have sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of your Hebrews have met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we might sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all of my wonders, which I will do in its midst. 
and after that he will let you go. And I will give you uh, this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman should ask of her neighbor, namely, of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and of clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder, plunder the Egyptians. And so right here as we end on chapter 3, that, that God is just laying this all out before Moses. Moses, this is exactly what's going to happen. I think he wants to really lay it out before Moses, just that way Moses wouldn't doubt when Pharaoh would say no, right? Because we know that, that Pharaoh's going to say no multiple times. And so God is just saying, listen, Pharaoh's going to say no to you. But this is exactly what's going to happen, and eventually he's going to let you guys go. And so you can't come back to me when he says no and say, oh, well, I told you so, God. No, 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 I'm, I'm going to lay it out all before you. But even after this, even after God really lays it down before Moses, we see in chapter 4, verse number 1, Moses' response. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Can you believe this? I mean, Moses, God has just come before you saying, I am who I am, this, this great and powerful God who, who just showed you everything that's going to happen, and yet you're still questioning him. But God is going to stay patient with Moses, and he's actually going to show Moses a few different signs in which Moses can use for the ministry, I think is also applicable to us this morning. So if you want to look at verse number two. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. That they might believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And so notice with me real fast. What God asked Moses, he said, Moses, what is in your hand? And what was in Moses' hand? It was a rod. It was a rod because he was a shepherd. And so number one, I believe that this sign is speaking of that God is going to use you and what is in your hand. And so we can ask the same thing, what is in your hand? And that is exactly what God is going to use. We can even look at this when, when Jesus went before the disciples. He went to Peter and said, Peter, what are you? He's like, well, I'm a fisherman. Well, now I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Or John, what are you doing? Well, I'm mending the nets. Well, I'm going to make you a mender of men's souls. You're going to be that disciple that shows love, right? And so the same thing for us that we can ask ourselves, what is in our hand? Maybe what's in your hand is an instrument. Maybe you can sing and, and God might be calling you to some form of worship. Maybe he wants you to be a part of the worship team or maybe you're really good with kids. Well, we can really use the help in, in children's ministry. And so if you want, you can talk to Jackie afterwards. You know, that, that's what God is going to use. And, it's, and like I said in the beginning, it's not just a Sunday morning ministry. Keep that in mind. When I say ministry, it's not just, oh, yeah, I do ministry on Sunday morning because I help out with the kids or I'm in the coffee shop or I'm on the worship team. But that as a believer in Christ, your ministry is every single day of your life, whether that's with your family and spending time with the word of God, with each other and, and growing and, and understanding the word or at your work and witnessing to the unbeliever, whatever it is, whatever God has gifted you with, that is what he's going to use. And I think a lot of people kind of get this a little bit mixed up and they, they're afraid that, God, if I, if I submit to God, that he's going to put me somewhere that I'm just miserable and that I'm no good at. But that's, that's not how God works. See, God will 
put you in a position that you're skilled in and that you enjoy and that that thing is on your heart because each of us we all make up the body of christ and so man if you don't have the gift of teaching that doesn't mean if you're called into the ministry he's going to make you a teacher he might have you somewhere else because as the body of christ we all have a function in it and it's a specific function that god has put you in and you're meant for that position specifically it's the same thing for all of us who have body parts right we all have eyes Our eyes have the function of seeing. We all have ears that are meant for us to hear and nose so we can smell and breathe properly. And that is the function of those body parts. But imagine one day if my big toe, which gives me a lot of balance when I stand and I walk, decided it no longer wanted to be a big toe because no one paid attention to it. No one appreciated how much balance it gave me. And it's stinky and it's dark inside a shoe. And so I wanted to be noticed. And so it detached itself off my foot and replaced my nose. I mean, sure, it, it definitely did what it wanted. Everybody's going to notice a big old big toe on my nose, right? But guess what? Things things aren't going to be working properly because now I'm going to have my nose on my toe, which isn't going to give me proper balance because that's not what it's meant for. And my big toe isn't going to, I'm not going to be able to smell through my big toe. I'm not going to be able to breathe properly through that because it has that specific function to be that toe to give me balance. And that's the exact same way that the Lord has worked it out to fulfill the body of Christ, that we're going to have a very specific function, even if that means you're never going to be noticed. But God will notice you, and you will be rewarded for that in heaven, let me tell you that. I think that you're going to be rewarded for the things that no one ever sees greater than than you would imagine, that when we get to heaven, the people at the top of the top with the most rewards, we're probably going to have no idea who they are just because no one noticed them, right? It's not going to be like the great big pastors i don't know but but the body of christ that we we fulfill that with god's gifts and then god gives a a second sign to moses it says in verse number six furthermore the lord said to him now put your hand in your bosom and he put his hand in his bosom and when he took it out behold his hand was leprous like snow and he said put your hand in your bosom again so he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. And so the second sign we see that, that God tells Moses to put his hand in his bosom. And when it came out, it became leprous. You guys know that the Bible, lepro- leprosy represents sin, right? And so when Moses' hand was leprous, God told Moses to put it back in his bosom and to take it out again, and it was restored. And I believe that this is speaking of our testimony to the unbeliever, that at one point, we were leprous, right? We, we were sinners. But when God can touch our heart, that we come out of it born again, that we're a new creation and that we've been, been saved, right? And we're no longer leprous like that. And I believe this is speaking of our testimony. I think that, that a lot of the people get worried to witness to the unbeliever. I think a lot of the reason because they're afraid that they don't know everything and that this person is going to ask them a question that they, they don't know how to answer it, right? And they're, they're worried that they're going to ask a bunch of questions, but because they don't know the Bible fully or they don't know the answer to their question, it, it brings discouragement. But let me tell you, you don't need to know all the answers. It's okay when, when someone asks you a question and you don't know how to answer it because at that point you can share your testimony with them and say, you know what, I'm going to be honest. I don't know everything the Bible has to teach. I don't know all of your answers. The answers to your questions, 
but I will tell you this, that at one point in my life, I didn't have Jesus and that there was something missing inside of my heart. And I was trying to fulfill that in the world and the world would not satisfy it. But when I had finally accepted Jesus into my life, I had a fulfillment in my soul and a peace in my heart that I could not find anywhere else but Jesus. And that is such a powerful tool that us as believers have as our testimony to share with the unbeliever that we, we now have that fulfillment, we now have that peace that only Jesus has to offer. And so continuing, verse number 8, Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. And verse number 10 Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And so we we really don't see anything different here, right? It's just another thing that that God is trying to speak to Moses, but yet again, Moses is just trying to come up with these excuses. But what I love with this excuse from Moses is Moses, it it seems like Moses is trying to inform God, like like God did not know he he had some type of speech impediment or some type of stutter or whatever Moses was facing, right? So he's like, oh, Lord, like, like I have this, so I can't be it. Like God is going to say, oh, yeah, you're right, Moses. I forgot about that. Um, I'm going to go find someone else. Sorry. Didn't mean to waste your time. No, that's not it at all. God knew exactly what Moses was dealing with, that, that he was not eloquent, that he was slow to speech or slow to tongue. But God was calling him anyways. And God was calling him to go to one of the most powerful people in all of history at this moment, Pharaoh. And yet he was slow to speech and slow to tongue. And that's because God is not interested in Moses. And God is not interested in us because of our skills and our talents. But God chooses to use us as long as we're, we're willing and we're faithful. And God has a calling and anointing on some of our lives. Again, not because we're skilled, but because he just wants to use us that glory would be given to him. And so if you think that, that if God is calling you to do something great, that you're saying, oh, well, it's just because I'm so skilled. It's probably the exact opposite. So let me humble you real quick. It's probably because you have nothing to offer. Okay? <laughs> That's probably why God's calling you to that. And so the same thing with Moses, that, that, that God isn't calling him because he was just this great guy. But, but God just wanted Moses to be faithful. That's all God wanted was for him to be faithful. And, and you look throughout the entire Bible and really... Just about every person that God used, they really had nothing to offer. You can even look at someone like the uh, Apostle Paul, who wrote just about half the books in the New Testament. Used probably greater than anyone else in all of history. I mean, just used so greatly by God. And yet we get a physical description of Paul from the early church. It was that, that Paul was short, okay? He had a bald head. He had a big old bushy unibrow. Uh, he had crooked knees, he had a big nose, and, and he wasn't even a powerful speaker. And when you, you hear that description, you're like, man, that, that doesn't sound like Paul. You know, I would expect Paul to be this big guy and like one of those guys that you'd notice right away when he enters a room, a big, powerful public speaker. But that wasn't Paul at all. And yet God used him so mightily, not because of Paul and who Paul was, but because he was just willing and he was faithful. And that's exactly how God works, that that if you are just willing and faithful, that he's going to use you, that glory may be given to him. Because it wouldn't make sense that you would worship a pot made out of clay, 
because it's not about the pot of clay, which is us, the vessel, but it's about the treasure that's inside of it. And so why would you worship that, that pot, which is worth nothing, when you have that, that beautiful treasure that is inside the pot? And so in verse number 11, God is responding to Moses saying this. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. This is something that a lot of people, I think, have issues with this verse because we do know that sin uh, or that death and affirmities that it comes from being in a corrupt sinful world that's that's the cause of those things but right here we see that that god is actually taking the responsibility for making people mutes and deaf and blind and a lot of people instantly kind of have a problem with this and say man that doesn't sound like a god of love you know why would why would god do something like that but let me tell you this that that if you worship the God that I worship and you know the God that I know, you know that his ways are so much greater than, than yours that, that God really doesn't have any reason to explain himself here. Because God, he knows all things. And, and though, I, though I look at this and I say, man, it doesn't make sense why God would do something like this, God has a purpose for that. What purpose? I don't know. Maybe it's to bring glory to him. Maybe he has a plan later down the road to heal that person. Or maybe it's for that person to be saved, that they would continue to cling on God because of that affirmity. Or maybe they can be a witness to other people because of their affirmity. I don't know what God's will is. All I know is that his ways are far greater than mine. And I have absolutely no room to question God in this. And, you know, it's been it's been said, it's the quote that, if God were small enough to figure out, he would not be great enough to worship. Let me say that again. If God were small enough to figure out, he would not be great enough to worship. And how true is that? That, that God is just so great that I can never figure him out. But because of that, he is so worthy of my praise and my worship. And so in verse number 13, but he said, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whoever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So, you shall be your, or, so he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take the rod into your hand with which you shall do these signs. And so really quick, uh, this is going to be where we end today. But as we look at this, what I want to look at is where it says, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. But I want you guys to understand when it says the anger of the Lord, that sometimes we come to, to areas like this in the Bible where we can't really explain God with our, our language, right? So, so right here when it says the anger of the Lord, it kind of sounds like, like if God just lost his patience with Moses, right? Like, like how we can, we can have patience, but eventually our patience runs out, and then all of a sudden we get angry. And that's kind of how it sounds like, but that, that's not what this means at all. And we, we see this multiple times in the Bible, right? We see, we see times in the Bible where it says that, 
that God had to remember something, right? Like God remembered Noah in the ark when they were in there for um, all that time. But God doesn't forget. So what does it mean that, that God had to remember that? Or it said that God repented, but God is without sin. So what does that mean that, that God had to repent? But really, it's, it's trying to explain God in the human language, but we don't really have the proper language to really explain or express God in that moment. And I mean, maybe, maybe you've heard, felt something like kind of similar to that. Maybe you've had like a thought in your mind. You had like an idea or maybe there's an emotion you felt and you know it so perfectly, but trying to explain it in language to someone else is like impossible, right? That's kind of the same thing that we, we deal with with God. It's, it's impossible to explain God. And so where it says, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, it's not saying that, that God just lost his patience and just got angry at Moses, right? But it, really what it's saying is that, that God at this point is saying, Moses, I've told you everything that I need to say. You know, I, I've said it all. I've laid it all out before you. And this is no longer you just questioning me. This is just you being unwilling. This is you lacking faith. But fine, if you want to lack this faith and you don't want to listen to me, then I'll just meet you where you're at. I'll meet you where you're at and I'll, I'll send Aaron to be your spokesman. This isn't the Lord's will. And we know that if you know the story, Aaron just ends up getting in the way anyways. And they end up worshiping, Israel ends up worshiping, worshiping an idol because of Aaron's leadership. And so this wasn't God's will initially. God's will would have been that Moses just took full responsibility. But God is just saying, man, you know what? Moses, I will just meet you where you're at. This isn't what I want, but I'll meet you where you're at. And he doesn't push him an inch more than Moses is willing. And I think that's, that's the same thing for us, that, that God will never push you any further than what you're willing. And that you really need to check your heart that, that if God is calling you to do something, that, that you would, number one, remember that God will never make you do something more than what you, you want to do. But also to, to really search out your heart and say, God, what is it truly that you want me to do? Am I truly in your will at this very moment of my life? Or am I just, you know, being stubborn like a sheep? Am I just trying to do things by myself or trying to get out of the way um, of the Lord's will? And so the worship team, if you guys would like to come up as we close, uh, we're finishing a little bit early, which probably isn't, yeah, you guys aren't very used to with Pastor Chris, so <laughs> you guys will uh, get a little break this week. But uh, as we close up, this morning, um, I want to just end with a quick encouragement. I believe that, that if you're in here this morning and you have accepted Christ into your life, that God does have a specific calling on your life and God does have a specific ministry on for you. And like I said, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be in the ministry just on Sundays because that's not just the ministry. The ministry is your life every single day outside of church too with the unbeliever. And God is calling you to something specific. I don't know what that thing is. Only you can know because that's between you and the Lord. But you need to, to really spend time with the Lord and, and ask, Lord, have I really been submissive to your will? Have I really been listening to what, what you have been calling me to do? Or have I just been stubborn and I've been trying to get out of the responsibilities that you've given me to? And if you're in here today and, and maybe you haven't accepted Christ, I, I still do believe that, that God has a calling on your heart. And I believe that there's one thing in the way, and that's pride, that you're, you're not willing to submit to the Heavenly Father, and that He is trying to touch your heart this morning. 
He is trying to speak to you, but your stubbornness is getting in the way that if you would just come to the end of yourself and realize that, that you can't do things in your own power, that any time you try to do things in your own power, it fails, that the only way that you can overcome these battles is by trusting in the Lord because just as the Lord proclaims in this, this passage that I am who I am, and he will become whatever you need him to be in that moment of your life. You need him to be your provider. You seek after him and he'll provide. You need him to be that peace. You seek after him and he'll be that peace. You need salvation. You seek after him and he'll become that salvation for you that you may live in heaven with Christ for eternity. And so with that, we'll pray. Lord, we we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you so much for the power of your word. And Lord, for this passage, Lord, as we saw Moses just continuously doubting you, but you continuously having patience for him, Lord, never pushing him a, a step further than, than needed. But Lord, you, you do desire to use your children. Lord, and you have called us all to a greater purpose, and that is to further your kingdom and to stop living for the material the things that are going to pass away on this earth, but that we would all be reminded that there, there are people in this world who are passing away without a Savior. God, may that be on our heart every day, a reminder that, that you desire to use us to reach the unbeliever, to bring your, your kingdom closer. Lord, I just ask that you would strengthen us all embolden us father for your word and to be a witness at our work or our day-to-day lives lord if our 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 ministry is to simply be in the word with our family to teach our kids to to know the power of the word and to know jesus and what jesus had done for them specifically on that cross lord and that we would grow in that Lord, we would make that a priority in our lives. Whatever it may be, Lord, may you speak to us. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.